Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Tuesday, June 27th. Welcome back to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me and Uh, Let me first apologize for the length of time between episodes of the Ion College Basketball Podcast. We were supposed to record last week. We didn't record last week because my travel plans uh, were crazy. I flew to New York last Monday and got stuck in airports because of weather for like 18 hours. I think I got to the Memphis airport around 9 a.m. and didn't actually land in LaGuardia till after 2 a.m., uh, East Coast time. So that was a long day. That sucked. And then on Tuesday, I was in studio in New York all day uh, doing pre-draft shows for CBS Sports Network. Traveled home Wednesday, more delays, another long day. Then flew to Fort Lauderdale on Thursday for the CBSSports.com draft show, then flew home early Friday. So I think in a span of five days, I was in five different airports, Memphis, Detroit, Atlanta, Fort Lauderdale, and LaGuardia in NYC. So it was a mess, but things have settled down now. And here we are, Matt Norlander. What's up with you? Hey, man, it's great to talk. Um, we are, I mean, we are approaching the end of June here, and it's kind of wild. Big picture, it doesn't feel like the Final Four was almost three months ago, personally. But we are really getting there, and we haven't hit the halfway point of the off season. But we're we're moving there quickly, and now the draft is kind of behind us. I do feel as though, from our perspective. Um, when the season ends, obviously it's like you hit the decompression button. There's a bit, there's a, there's a big release, but there's still plenty of news. And then through April, May into June, because the draft is something that we both constantly write about and follow and track, it's still, there's still a hum, so to speak to what we do. And now that the draft has passed to me, I don't know if you agree or not, but to me, it actually, (laughs) this actually feels like the off season has really started. Would you agree? Yes, because there is something going on um, from the moment the college basketball season ends up until the NBA draft. And this year was a little um, unusual in that regard in the sense that we got a major coaching change in June. Like, that doesn't usually happen. Um, But, you know, I I used to remember, I I don't guess this happens so much anymore because I have the radio show, so people always know what I'm going to be doing, or at least that I have something to do every day. Um, But I remember when, before the radio show, people would constantly ask me, so what do you do when basketball season's over? I'm like, write about basketball. Like, there's always something going on. Like, okay, uh, somebody wins a national championship, cut down the nets, you fly home from the Final Four. Well, then you still typically have the coaching carousel spinning a little bit. There's there's jobs open um, that need to be filled. When those jobs are filled, they sometimes open other jobs, so on and so forth. So that carries on for a little while. Then you've got underclassmen declaring for the NBA draft or announcing they're going to return to uh, school for another year. Then um, you've got the draft deadline. Uh, so uh, some of the people who declared for the NBA draft, they're going to be announcing that they're actually withdrawing from the NBA draft. There's more news. Uh, then you've got and this was especially true this year, multiple five-star prospects still uncommitted. So that drags into um, in, into May and in, even into June. Um, then you've got you know the NBA draft that, that constantly produces stories, if only because we're doing mock drafts basically every other day. And then the draft gets done. We've got all the jobs filled in college basketball. There are no notable prospects who remain uncommitted. Um, so yeah, like there's nothing going on right now except for a dude driving his car inside Mizzou Arena. <laughs> yeah, that was. How bizarre was that? <laughs> How drunk do you have to be to drive your car inside Mizzou Arena? Uh, it's it's been a 
a briefly interesting offseason for Mizzou. Not that we have to slip down the tiger hole, so to speak, and that uh, you keep, uh, Jeremiah you keep your Tillman, tiger hole to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Jeremiah Tillman, who's the second best recruit coming into the team next year, he got busted for underage drinking. And, what, what if Jeremiah Tillman would have been the guy driving his car around? Oh in my seven gosh! <laughs> I know, right? Seriously. So you had that, and then uh, and this bozo who, thankfully, I guess, didn't you know do any damage to the actual court in and of itself. But yeah, it's. Uh, there's always something, man. There's there's always something going down. But um, yeah, off season is here, and then so all right. So, what do you want to hit on here? Like, what do you want to? I'm 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 ceding to you. The floor is yours. So we got a few things. I got something. <laughs> yeah, I throw, this, this, yeah, this can't possibly be the best way to sell a college basketball podcast by spending the first. Four, We're gonna ha- listen, by, no, by spending no, the first no. spending the first four minutes saying, you know what? There really is nothing going on. I don't know why you're listening to this right now. I, we could still. Uh, talk draft a little bit, both what just happened last week and 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 looking ahead to next year because it's it's actually fairly reasonable to look ahead to next year. My mock draft, how about this? Is this good or bad? What kind of grade would you give me? Everybody loves draft grades. What kind of grade would you give me, Matt Norlander? First five picks, I got exactly right in the exact order. The first 13 players off the board are the exact 13 players I had coming off the board, not necessarily in the right order. Like I had marketing going six and Isaac going seven. Isaac went six, marketing went seven. But in terms of the first 13 off the board, those are the 13 players I had coming off the board first. In total, 26 of the 30 first round draft picks are guys I had projected to go in the first round. And 52 of the 60 picks are guys that I had projected to get picked. It's not bad, is it? I'll give you a B. B. Plus, I think. B. Uh, B plus. Let me a B plus. That's better than a B. Because um, one, you're no different from many others that basically landed uh, all the first six picks, or you know, in order, first five picks in order, and then there weren't a lot of surprises. GP. It was a lot of consensus there, which does make me think, because I I I wonder if the mechanisms behind all these mock drafts, and there are plenty of connected people that try and do this kind of stuff. Um, and and deal with scouts and general managers if it was any sort of groupthink involved there or if this was an aberrational year in that everyone thought, nope, these are the players that should be going at the top of the board or, obviously, as I wrote at the draft last week, um, is this a truly aberrational year? And, and even, I wonder, <laughs> a year we'll never see like again um, because... It was nothing but freshmen and freshmen and freshmen and freshmen until you got to Kennard, who was a sophomore. Um, the first 10 college players picked were freshmen. There were 16 uh, taken in the first round. That was a record. And so more than ever before, we were picking off of potential and certainly some talent there. But it it seemed as though this was a year that I don't think will be duplicated and perhaps in part, and I know we're going to get to this eventually um, because we might just have a change the whole way that players enter the draft and when their eligibility is available and all that stuff. Yeah. This was obviously unusual because it was unprecedented to have this many first year one and done players uh, selected in the first round. But I think that speaks to something we've been talking about literally for years, which is uh, this freshman class was exceptional. You know, I, I don't know that there's a LeBron James in the class or a Kevin Durant in the class, but um, there's a whole bunch of really interesting prospects in the class. And so um, it really 
uh, should should not have been much of a surprise what happened on 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 last Thursday night. And I do think that that you're you're mostly right. I haven't looked at everybody else's mocks and compared them to to how mine did, but I imagine whether it's uh, Chad Ford or, or or Sam Vecini or Jonathan Gavoni, like they're all pretty. I bet we're all pretty close in 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 how many of the lottery picks we got correct, how many first round picks we got correct, how many uh, of the uh, 60 players in total we got correct. Uh, there weren't a whole lot of, of of really, really big surprises. The guys basically went, you know, if you were doing nothing but following mock drafts, didn't watch a single basketball game all year, but just looked at the mock drafts every day, um, you know, they, they basically the players were selected last Thursday about in the range where um, – where they were always expected to be selected. I think the one surprise early, and it was interesting because I, I tweeted this in real time uh, after whoever it was that came off the board at 13 came off the board. And I said, well, okay. Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Donovan yeah. Mitchell, right. I said, okay, I'm now the, – the, the 13 guys that have been picked are the first 13 guys I projected to get picked. But this is where I think it starts to get a little insane because I really did, did believe this. I thought there was a clear first five players – and they're the ones that went one through five. You know, Fultz, Blonzo, uh, Jason Tatum, Josh Jackson, De'Aaron Fox. I thought those guys were always going to be the, the top five picks. And then I thought the next eight, you know, that group that included Zach Collins and and Luke Kennard and Jonathan Isaac and Laurie Markkinen I, I, and, and Malik Monk, Dennis Smith, uh, Frank Nilakina. I thought all those guys were coming off next. And then once we got to 14, I was like, okay, now who knows? Now here we go. And then, of course, the big surprise was Bam Adebayo going 14th overall uh, to the Miami Heat because, no, like, I don't think you can find a mock draft anywhere that had him in the lottery. I had him in the 20s, I think even the, the, the high 20s, like around 23, 24 maybe. But I don't think anybody had him going in the top 15. So that's when the drafts got a little uh, unpredictable. But still, the guys who were projected to go in the first round, for the most part, they they went in the first round. I believe the first 26 picks were all selections that I had projected in the first round. And then the last four, whoever they were, um, those are the ones that I, I had second-round picks. Um, didn't, but, like, yeah, it kind of went you – know, the players kind of came off the board in a, in a pretty predictable way. Uh, all right, yeah, the autobio thing was a, was a big shocker, and I do like that. I, I like when we get uh, picks like that or that kind of just fool everyone that was that – was, uh, you know, forecasting the draft and prognosticating. And um, I don't know if I buy out of bio at 14. What's interesting is the frame of reference with him going to 14 now, because when he was a prospect, right. uh, I, I listen, I had a, a coach at a blue blood program. That's not John Calipari. Tell me this kid is going to be in the mix to be the number one overall pick. And from him, from him to go to that. And when I saw him, like in the moment and seeing him play, I was, I did not know a ton about Bam at, the, at that time, but I thought, damn and then the way i was watching i was like okay maybe maybe but from that to then seeing like how he was good not great at kentucky to then seeing you know okay well his game is more suited for 1996 than 2017 right so he's worth like a a pick in the 20s and then the heat totally take a flyer on him i'll be interested to see what kind of player he becomes because i think that he could be a solid nba player but if you told me out of bio was out of the league in four years I wouldn't necessarily be shocked given the, his style of play versus how the NBA is going. Okay, GP, I'm going well, to let, let, let me say this real quick about him. Okay. Um, I Listen, the people who run the Miami Heat are obviously smarter about basketball than I am, or at least I think they are. They, they certainly have more rings than I do. But, like, in a league that is changing, um, 
where everybody wants athletic bigs and strong and, and stretch fours. Like trying to pair Hassan Whiteside with Bam Adebayo, if that's what you're trying to do, like that's just that's not the way basketball's played anymore. It doesn't mean you can't play it that way, but you know, uh, there's a reason Golden State plays the way it plays, and a reason the Cleveland Cavaliers are playing the way they play, and the and 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 there's a reason behind both those teams, you know, advancing to the NBA Finals. It's it's you know, style of play more than maybe ever seems to be. Uh, moving in a direction of stretch fours, athletic bigs, shoot threes, shoot threes, shoot threes. And I don't know if you you, you can play that way with Hassan Whiteside and, and Bam Adebayo. But, but, you know, but we'll see. I will say I was closer to right, uh, being right about Bam Adebayo a year ago than I was like on the afternoon of the draft. Because if you go back and look at my 2017 mock that I put up in June 2016, in other words, exactly like what I just did, uh, last week with a 2018 mock. 2016 draft goes uh, in our rearview mirror. Now let's go ahead and start looking at two, ahead to 2017. A year in advance, I had Bam Adebayo going 12th overall. Um, and, and so uh, he ends up going 14. But it is interesting because when I tweeted the link to the 2018 mock draft, like last week, you get all these people going, come on, get out of here. Like, what? it's too early to do that. And A, um, in, in the world of online journalism, it's never too early to have a mock draft out there. Like, you, people can roll their eyes at it, but people click on it, and it's easy page views and blah, blah, blah. But beyond that, um, basketball is a sport where we kind of do know who's who a year in advance. You can look at the one I posted on June 24th, 2016. Number one, I had Josh Jackson going first overall to the Brooklyn Nets, which, of course, ends up being the, the Boston Celtics. So I had Josh Jackson going first. I had Jason Tatum going third. I had Markel Fultz going fourth. So I had three of the top four picks projected, you know, uh, you know where they had them in the top four a year ago before the draft. And I won't go through the whole thing, but I had six of the top ten, and I believe like 16 of the top 30. And it would have been more than that, except like Miles Bridges didn't enter the draft. I thought that he would, so on and so forth. So basketball is a sport where you, you do have a pretty good idea of who's going to be who, even a year in advance. And so when I put that 2018 NBA mock draft out last Friday, um, I, I bet you if we look at it on you know, June 24, 2018, um, you're going to be able to go, yep, uh, Michael Porter looks like he's in play for the number one pick. DeAndre Ayton looks like he's in play for the number one pick. Um, the kid from Slovenia looks like he's on, you know, in play for the number one pick. Mohamed Bamba looks like he's in play for the number one pick. Like these guys, they're identified, you know, while in high school. And really, barring injury or just colossal disappointment, uh, that would be Harry Giles' situation and the year before Scalabissier's uh, situation, barring something like that, um, you kind of do know a year in advance who's going to be picked, uh, you know, at the top of every NBA draft. It is it is remarkable in that way. All right. So the there are two different conversations at play here, because when the guys that are taken in the top 10 and in, in the lottery and all that, a lot of that does correlate back to how they performed as 16 and 17 year olds on the AAU circuit and how they projected uh, in terms of lottery picks. That is to me not necessarily the same thing as as projecting as to how they will wind up in the entirety of their NBA careers. Um, so what I'm getting at here is one, there was a I think there was more positivity around the draft this year with where players went and which teams picked than I've ever seen, which is fine. But the statistics show um, that nearly half of all first round picks don't even make it to a second contract. Okay. Mm -hmm. So 
Uh, I'm not trying to be a downer here, but that's the reality. So we're going to do a, a quick little thing here. I'm just going to throw a few guys at you, okay? Mm -hmm. um, because, yeah, this all looks good in, in the here and the now, but a lot of these dudes are not going to make it in the league to 2020, 2021, okay? So uh, let's, let's, I want you just uh, instinctively, okay, instinctively tell me, and then I'd love if a, if a listener, and I'll, I'll play too, I'll play too, um, a listener could keep track of this and then like five years from now remind us of this because we're going we're gonna to have long forgotten what we said. But I'd like to just see how we, what we think now in the moment and then come 2022, what happens, okay? Because no doubt about it, we'll still be shouting out Devin Downey and even if it's just you and me in a cabin in the woods, my man, we're still going to be doing this. Shouts right, to so. Devin Downey, the great Devin Downey. I don't know if you All remember right. what he did once upon a time. Let me spell it out for you. It was January 26, 2010. He had 30 points, five rebounds, three assists. It's a 68-62 win over John Calipari's Kentucky Wildcats. It will forever be known as the first loss John Calipari ever took as coach at the University of Kentucky. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to, shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to give you a few different prediction levels, and you tell me where you think these players are going to wind up. So we'll say – I'm not going to say Hall of Famer because that's way too hard. Um, every draft has like 1.5 Hall of Famers on average. So we'll say all-star, starter, role player, second contract, or out of the league. And out of the league with signal doesn't reach the second contract, okay? Gotcha. All-star, all starter, role player, second contract, or out of the league. Okay. Um, let, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do all the top five picks, but let's specifically go to Fultz. Who's the number one pick? What is your projection for Marco Fultz's NBA career? All star. I will say second contract. What about you think you think he's only? Like, what do you mean like second contract? I think no. I'll say yeah. I'll say no. Sorry, that's you know what that's too low. I'll say um, I'll say role player. I think Marco Fultz was will wind up being insanely overvalued in this draft versus all the other players. I, I'm just not as in on faults as pretty much anyone else. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, how about Josh Jackson? Starter, but not an all-star. I will say all-star. I think Josh Jackson will eventually make an all-star game and multiple. I think uh, he will wind up as a top three player in this draft. Okay. How about – Well, let's be clear. Like, um, it's not hard to make one all-star team. I mean, it's hard. Yeah. But, like, yeah, so, yeah, a, so a lot of people make let's one. Let's qualify all-star game. All-star uh, is multiple – Multiple all-star appearances, right. So you multiple. Don't just fall into one. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't think he'll do that. I, he could. I, I would just – I would say starter, but but just short of, of all-star level player. All right. How about Malik Monk? Starter. I would say starter. I I think that as well. And I could definitely I could I could see all star, but I'll just go starter. Starter to me indicates that you're gonna get stay in the league eight to twelve years. Basically, doesn't mean you'll be a starter for twelve years, but if you're a starter level, then you're you're definitely in for at least eight years. I do think Monk's skill set will allow for that. Let's go, Justin Jackson, who went fifteenth to the Kings. Starter. Starter, I agree with you. I think Justin Jackson is going to be a really, really good pro. And I I would go as far as to say, GP, that I think that he will be a top six player when we look at back a decade from now. I think he's going to be that consistently good. 
I think that he is uh, he is built for the current NBA and will continue to have success. Which, by the way, I love what Sacramento did on draft night. Like you get De'Aaron Fox at five, then you trade ten for fifteen and twenty. You get Justin Jackson at fifteen, so you got a shooter to play with the Aaron Fox, and then you get a free swing at twenty and take it on Harry Giles. Like I love I love that. I, I think they had a remark like, and then you get Frank Mason in the second round. Like I I, I said this on the draft show last Thursday night. I don't know that I've ever put these words in this exact order, but I'll say it for the first time in my life. Sacramento is like having a good night. Like I thought, that, I thought they they did good things there. I might have been tempted if I were them to just go ahead and snatch up Monk at ten and go De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk. That's our future backcourt. Like I would have been down with that as well. But the idea that you could flip ten for fifteen and twenty, get Justin Jackson, who uh, I think you might value a little more than I do, but I do think he's going to be a relevant NBA player. And then you get a free swing on Giles. Like I, I love that. And let me bounce this off to you. Then we'll get back to the game. Okay. If you were running the Sacramento franchise, would you be down with this? We're going to take Harry Giles, and he's going to get all his guaranteed money. He's a multimillionaire now. He's the 20th pick in the first round. You are not going to play in the NBA next year. You're going to the D League or the G League. And what we want you to do, because we, we, think, we think your knees are fine or going to be fine. If we didn't, we would never have selected you 20th overall. So we don't think you have many physical hurdles to overcome. But you clearly have a mental hurdle to overcome. You've got to get your mindset back where you trust your body and where you remember what it was like to dominate other basketball players. It has been a long time since you've dominated other basketball players. And you're not going to be able to do that in the NBA. Like you're just you're going to play six minutes a game and you're probably going to be overwhelmed. And, you know, you're you weren't you were an ineffective player at Duke. You're not going to be an effective player in the NBA right away. But go to the G League. I want you to be the G League MVP. I want you to average 25 points and 13 rebounds. And then let's get you back mentally, get you back physically, then get you to the NBA in year two, and maybe we got something special. Would, would, is, is that a reasonable approach to Harry Giles? Don't even consider the NBA in his rookie season. That is reasonable. I think Giles personally wouldn't necessarily fight that, knowing the kid just a little bit. I think his father absolutely would. <laughs> right. Um, but it's definitely an experiment worth strongly considering because, I mean, Giles has openly admitted that um, there certainly is just a mental aspect and element to him playing where, you know, at least when he told me in February, like he felt he was getting better, but there just was not complete entire confidence. And that'll happen when you've had your knee cut on three times. So it's it's certainly you know that is specifically because he has his money, it's it's certainly worth uh, worth trying, particularly if you're the Kings and you have enough elsewhere in terms of youthful talent, you know, from blue blood schools and and can kind of sell them on that. And then, yeah, in a way, it actually it brings. Granted, you're gonna have to see Giles produce, but it 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 would bring a bit more of that mythical element to Giles if he continued to play well at that level um, because he was obviously one of the more uh, written about and discussed pro uh, prospects in high school over the past two years. It is funny. You look at their roster and it is all like players from Blue Blood schools. I mean, it's like Scalabissier from Kentucky, Willie Colley-Stein from Kentucky. Um, I think Ben McLemore is a free agent, but like from Kansas, Frank Mason from Kansas, De'Aaron Fox from Kentucky, Justin Jackson from North Carolina. Harry Giles from Duke. Um, I mean, it's like a whole bunch of like 
really recognizable college names on that Sacramento roster, which may not amount to anything, but it is something I noticed. Yeah, you look at the first and second team, all NBA teams and third team, and there are plenty of guys that didn't go to Blue Blood, so that doesn't necessarily guarantee it. But um, I don't know. There could be something said for that. Okay, uh, a few more names. How about Michigan's DJ Wilson? Uh, I could. He's one of the guys I could see not getting a second contract. I'm with you there. Yeah, I'm just not as in on him now. Listen, there are there are players over the years that I've been so wrong on um, that have like kind of stuck in the league um, that I didn't think would do it. Uh, but Wilson, he's got the way that he tested. Obviously, I think played a lot into him going so high. Uh, I just I, I saw him play basketball, and he's good. I just don't think he was worthy of a top 20 pick, and I don't necessarily think that he's going to stick. And, you know, I don't say this to bring the guy down, but, I'll, again, let's have a rational, reasonable discussion about the draft. Not <laughs> These 31st-round picks are not going to stick in the league for a decade. It just will not happen. It never does. So we got to try and pick uh, who's not going to necessarily stay. How about – here's a guy that I'll, I'll openly admit I'm going to guess on. I have no idea. Um, but I thought that he would have been a top 15 undisputed player in college basketball next season maybe even a top 10 player Jarrett Allen role player I think that's where I'm going to land as well um he is uh I love his look I hope he never changes it he's straight out of 1977 with that uh, stash and fro um I think a role player is probably right but I see the most variance to him I guess like if he was out in two years or stuck around for 12 I guess I'd buy either one um I will also say out of the league um, and play, perhaps playing in Europe in the next four years for OG Ananobi. What about you? Role player. But I could see him becoming a starter. I actually like him more than I think most people do. Okay. Why, why are you in on OG? I just think at, at the very worst, he can be a, 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 a wing who can guard multiple positions. Like there's value in that. You know, just saying – Hey, I mean, it's why I like Josh Jackson better than I like Jason Tatum. And I like Jason Tatum. But, um, hey, go out there. Hey, we got Kevin Durant tonight. Go go cause him problems. We got LeBron James tonight. Go make things difficult for him. We got Paul George tonight. Go make things difficult for him. I think OG can do that. Uh, you know, obviously got to get healthy. Um, I wish he shot it a little better. I wish maybe he was a little more, I don't know, some of the uh, – uh, there's some questions about – whether he's vocal enough, whether he's, you know, aggressive enough, all of that kind of stuff. But, like, Kawhi Leonard never talks either, and he's figured it out. So I'm not saying OG can be Kawhi Leonard, but, you know, I, I understand the, why you would take him in the first round. I would have taken him in the first round. I, I, I think role player, but I could see him being a starter. Caleb Swanigan. I, I, I'm tempted to say starter. I'm I, tempted to say all-star. I could see a starter. I like him a lot. Like, I was glad he went in the first round. I always thought he should go in the first round. Uh, you know, who knows? But, like, I made this point before. I don't know if I've made it on this podcast. But uh, he's not Draymond Green in the sense they don't play similarly at all, right? They're not similar players right. in any way whatsoever. But they are similar in this way. You know, they incredibly productive college basketball players in the Big Ten. Both were Big Ten players of the year. Both played for good coaches. Both produced at an amazing level. And they also both don't measure a certain way. They don't move a certain way. And so people doubted both of them. You know, well, I like Draymond Green. Like, really plays hard and he's super productive. But, like, 
is he a three or is he a four? And can he do this and can he do that? I don't know. Just put him on the court and we'll see. And now you see. I think Kayla Swanigan is going to be a guy where you look up in January and you go, oh, wow. Look, he's a productive NBA player. I can't believe so many teams passed on him. It's not like he was hidden off at Eastern Washington or something. Like he played for the Big Ten champion. And he produced at a, a historically great level. Uh, why should it shock anybody that he's producing in the NBA as well? I just think he'll figure it out. I just think he'll figure right. it out. We'll close it out with this. Most second-round picks are expected to be role players at absolute best. Most actually uh, never even earn NBA time. Uh, but let's pick two players apiece that went in the second round that we think actually will be starting-level players. I'll go first. I am so in on Monty Morris lasting a decade plus in the NBA. I can't emphasize it enough. I think he has the smarts, knows the game. Um, his assist to turnover ratio in college was borderline historic, if not historic. In fact, I don't know if there's ever been a player that has had a better career assist to turnover ratio than Morris. Um, the, uh, the NCAA never tracked all this stuff going back all these decades, so you can't really tell for certain. I'm just way in on Monty sticking and the other guy in the second round I'm not going to say Jordan Bell although I think Jordan Bell goes to the perfect spot so he's going to be a benefit I think of where he's going um, the other guy I, I gotta believe is probably Jonah Bolden who is an interesting case I actually thought was a first round talent went to UCLA then you know didn't get great minutes bounced out went overseas he's, a, he's an Aussie he played over there for a year comes back um, I think his physicality, his shooting ability, I think Jonah Bolden is is kind of set. Uh, I don't know. I could see him playing for like five teams in 12 years and kind of being like a consistent, like a guy who can just contribute enough. I think that uh, time will prove that he'll end up being a top 20 player from this draft. Uh, I think in the second round, guys who could end up being relevant NBA players and really a second round pick. If you get a rotation guy, you've like, that's a, that's a hit. Like you hit without a doubt. Yes. If you, if you get a rotation guy, you've hit, um, I could see Shimmy Ojale being a rotation yep. guy in the NBA. I mean, another one that's going to be like, you know, you look up in January and you go, Oh wow. He's, he's in the rotation for, I don't even remember who drafted him, who took him, uh, uh Boston, who, Boston did Boston, Boston take him? Him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that, that may be tough, right? I mean, they've got so many good pieces there. It might be tough for him to break in, but if we looked up in five years and Shimmy Ojale was still in the NBA and like in a rotation for somebody that would not surprise me. Um, I'm tempted to say Ivan Rabb. Um, yeah. you know, I, the Grizzlies have need, have a need at that position. They're probably not bringing Jamichael Green back. They did not draft Ivan Rab to to go to the, the G League, you know he's going to be on that on that on that roster, and they've got Deontay Davis, who's you know another young guy. They could bring back Zach Randolph, but I think you know when you're talking about Zebo at his age, probably not going to be able to play 82 games. And then it comes down to if you need power forward minutes, do you give them to Deontay Davis or Ivan Rab? I could see where we look up and Ivan Rab is in the rotation for the Memphis Grizzlies. That wouldn't be surprising to me. All right, um, 2018 mock draft. Give uh, give listeners an idea of, of, of your top 10 as it stands right now. And for those that might not know these players in and out, for the guys that are going to be in college next year, just let them know where they're going. Well, I've got Michael Porter Jr. going first overall. I really do think there's four players who are in consideration for the number one overall pick. And it's Michael Porter, who's going to be at Missouri. 
Mohamed Bamba, who is going to be at Texas. Um, uh, DeAndre Ayton, who's going to be at Arizona. And then the kid from Slovenia, who I don't want to mispronounce his name, and I don't have the pronunciation guide right in front of me, but you know he's the best uh, young European prospect. Uh, he was actually uh, labeled that way, given the award um, this past season. He's only 18 years old. He's a 6'8 shooting guard. Um, I obviously haven't seen him nearly as much as I've seen the other three players I've mentioned. I've seen those other three players um, you know, up close and in person, live, multiple times. Um, but every NBA person I talked to told me you've got to have him in the uh, in the top four. And multiple people told me they ha- i got to have him in the top two. I initially had him going fourth overall, and I went and changed that yesterday just because when I started getting feedback from NBA people, they were like, nah, that kid's going top two or three. You should probably get him in the top two. Um, so I, I think it's th- those four players. And then after that, I think it falls off a little bit, kind of comes down to what do you like. You know, is it is it is it Miles Bridges? Is it you know Colin Sexton? Is it Trayvon Duvall? Whatever. But uh, I do think there's four really nice prospects at the top, and uh, I think if I'm picking first overall at this moment, like if you hold that draft tonight, I probably want Michael Porter. Michael Porter's my pick as well as of right now. Um, I say that we have to acknowledge the fact that Kwanzaa Martin had a projected lottery pick in Ivan Rab returned under Martin. Rab then falls to the second round. It's not Martin's fault entirely, but that has to be considered. Porter right now, to me, seems to have the best package for a future number one NBA pick. But let's just see what happens with Missouri last year. Listeners will note that I asked you to give me your top ten. You gave me really your top four. I mean, I can, so what, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go through it. Um, okay, at five, okay. I had Miles Bridges from Michigan State, of course. At six, yep. Wendell Carter, who's a freshman, going to be a freshman at Duke. At seven, Robert Williams, the uh, big big at Texas A&M, who, who could who could like be good in obscurity, but uh, he, people are generally thinking that, barring like unforeseen injury or whatever, like he's like a lock to be a top fifteen pick. It seems right. Uh, Trayvon Duvall at eight. Um, Colin Sexton, Duvall, of course, going to be the point guard at Duke. Uh, mm-hmm. Colin Sexton, who's going to be the point guard at Alabama, uh, at nine, and Jaron Jackson, who's sort of a power forward center uh, at Michigan State, at ten. So what's interesting is that, uh, and and I know there's some people out there rolling their eyes, like how could you possibly do this? Like we said earlier, um, last year when I did it a year in advance, I got three of the top four correct and six of the top ten correct. So uh, of those ten people I just named. I feel comfortable saying at least five or six of them probably going to actually go in the top ten of the of the 2018 NBA draft. If you break it down by league, the SEC has eight players. Eight, that's more than any other league. If you break it down by school, Kentucky has four in the first round. Uh, Duke has three. And then I think Michigan State, Arizona, Miami, and USC both have two first-round projected picks on their roster and obviously the surprises there or at least uh, the surprises relative to the things we usually talk about when we're looking at my draft Miami having two in the uh, in the top 20 and uh, USC having two in the top 30 um, that's that's abnormal and that's why I think Jim Laranaga uh, on one side of the country and and Andy Enfield on the other are both going to have like legitimate top 15 teams teams that can compete at the top of uh, of the ACC and, and the Pac-12 yeah I'm a uh... I'm in on Miami being really good next year. USC absolutely should be. I want to see how they handle having all that talent. Um, I, that, the Trojans got to be a top 20 team next year, but I, let's just let's see it happen. Uh, real quick, I think Duvall will play himself into being a top five pick 
next season. I'm very in on his capability, both at the college level and then translating to be a really nice uh, pro point guard. So I'm way high on Duvall of all the guys you listed. Sexton's the one I want to see how he does with Bama, which has some nice pieces, obviously not a traditional college basketball power. And so you'll have concurring storylines in the SEC next year where you've got Porter and Missouri's been good. Don't get me wrong, but Missouri has been a down program. Bama has not been, you know, beating the world, so to speak. So they'll, they'll have, you know, projected top 10 picks on their roster. Uh, the SEC is going to be, you know, populated by a number of, of future potential NBA picks specifically to start the season. So if for no other reason, the league is very interesting from that perspective. That's all. Uh, before we get out of here, the one and done rule has been back in the news in, in recent weeks, mostly because uh, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, said that, you know, he's 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 got different views on the rule uh, than he had when he took over uh, as as commissioner of the NBA from from David Stern. And a lot of it is rooted in um, him watching the Ben Simmons documentary and just uh, the way it, it showed that Simmons had a absolutely no business being on a college campus and, and B absolutely no interest in being on a, on a college campus. And it, that was a bad look for uh, so-called student athletes. It was a bad look for, for the NCAA in general. And while Adam Silver isn't obligated to, to try to save, you know, college basketball from, from those types of situations, he has publicly acknowledged that he's, his views are changing on, on how to address um, high school prospects and, and what the league essentially does to, to force them um, in many ways in, in, you know, onto college, uh, college campuses. Now, it's not totally up to Adam Silver. Like, he can't change rules by himself, um, but he's an uh, incredibly smart man, and I can't imagine he would be talking publicly about this the way he is if he didn't think that there might be change on the horizon. You've written about this um, several times over the past few weeks, as recently as yesterday when John Calipari and Bruce Pearl talked about it, uh, on a SEC uh, coaches conference call, uh, just your general thoughts on where we might be headed. Your general thoughts on uh, where we should be headed. Yeah, I'll try and keep this general because honestly, GP, this is uh, this is an issue that I think makes for easy debate. The reality is, it's it's a complex issue without a perfect solution. And as I wrote last week uh, in kind of an in-depth piece for the site. If there was a perfect solution, the smart people involved in the NBA would have found it by now. But ultimately, and Pearl kind of echoed this in his comments yesterday, you have three parties here. You have the NBA, you have college basketball, and you have the player. No matter what, one of those three entities will have to be giving up something in order to make any sort of potential quote-unquote solution work. Currently, that is the player. You could have argued that in the past it was college basketball when it wasn't getting these guys coming to... Uh, the NCAA with Kobe and, and LeBron and all that stuff. So what I find interesting is that Silver is talking about this publicly now. Mike Bray told me that this was discussed with the National Association of Basketball Coaches by like the NBA, Kiki Vandeway, who came as sort of an NBA rep to the Final Four in 2015, kind of just threw this out there saying, hey, listen, we don't love the rule as is, this, that, and the other coaches to a certain extent even laughed it off like you you know okay well you're not going to a baseball rule we know that's not going to happen and now what i was interested was in was that people seem to glom onto this baseball rule being the next automatic thing while and it does have drawbacks gp and one 
I don't believe in talking with uh, some people on the NBA side and but primarily college coaches. The feeling is that the NBA does not want to go back to putting high school players in its league. They're they're trying to figure out and Adam Silver specifically, and he has to deal with the players' association. They got to bargain all this stuff. How can we improve our system, but still not make a mockery of the college process? Because what is also true is that the NBA, and this comes from the mouth of of Izzo and even Phil Martelli, and who called me up after the story, he said the. The NBA has never been so proactively trying to communicate with college basketball and the NCAA to make both infrastructures work as smoothly and as, and as well as they can. It's The relationship has never been better, but there's still miles to go. So having said all that, my impression is that the NBA is going to try to, to deduce a solution where it allows players to commit out of high school if it chooses but, and this is partly a guess and partly the only way I think this could possibly work, if, 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 if it even gets to this point, I'm not saying that it will, you have to go to the G League because, one, the NBA is putting a lot of resources into that and it wants to promote it and it wants to make it bigger. you got to go to the G League if you're going to come out out of high school. What happens from there is to be determined. I put on the table that if you do that, you can't play in an NBA game until after the All-Star break at best. Uh, if you want to promote your league and kind of ensure that the guys are coming in, have a period of adjustment, that's fine. But, GP, here's the issue. Two of them. One, you're still technically restricting a player, although they are getting paid. You're still restricting a player who might have the talent to play in the NBA when they step in. How you want to judge that is obviously, I mean, it, there are, there's one LeBron every freaking 40 years, okay? So there's a difference between I can, quote, play in the NBA. What does that mean? Can you earn minutes off the bench, and, and are you worthy enough? Or does that mean you're good enough as a top three pick to step in and be a starter immediately? Who's to say when and why and if you can even handle that, okay? There are questions that the NBA has to handle with that. And then, two, if you go to a baseball model, which I do not believe is the best possible solution for college basketball, what is the philosophical difference between telling – an 18-year-old high school player, you can't go to the pros, and telling a player who just completed his freshman year of basketball, found newfound market value because he had an incredible year and went from a guy that was projected in the 90s on a mock draft to the 20s, why is it fair for you to say, eh, nope, you know what, you, you agreed to the college deal and you got to stay another year. There's nothing that you can do to, to technically force him to stay in school for another year. So, and baseball operates differently than basketball in so many different ways. I don't think that the models can overlap. So, while I think it's become an easy talking point, I just don't think that switching over to a tweaked baseball model, which coaches are saying it would be two years instead of three in baseball, although I will say that a number of coaches want it to be three years. Obviously, they have their self-interest in regard to that. Um, there's still a lot of ways to go here. My last thought in this parish is... I do believe change is going to come. I don't think we're going to have the system we have in place come 2020. I think something will happen, but I do not believe that whatever the next system that comes into place is, is going to be universally accepted as the better option than what we have right now. Okay. A lot of thoughts on this. Um, I'm okay with the baseball model. I do think it would be better if it's, you go to high school, you want to, you, you can go. But if you commit to a college, you're eliminated from the draft for two years. I like two better than three. I think it's more fair. I do fundamentally agree with you, though. Um, if, if, the, if the problem right now 
the moral problem right now is uh, these young people coming out of high school are ready to be drafted and ready to become millionaires, but we're keeping them out of the league, um, uh, uh, not allowing them to be picked. Then what's the difference between, I don't know, let's just say if you went to the baseball rule and it's a three-year rule. Well, obviously John Collins isn't entering the NBA draft out of high school. He's a borderline top 150 prospect, but he becomes a first-round pick after two years of college. Now we're still now we're we're dealing with the baseball rule and he can't go. Well, you got to play one more year of college. Like I think we'd start having the same conversations we have now about that in as it relates to being unfair uh, to the so-called student athlete. So I I think it would be good for college basketball because I mean the biggest problem facing college basketball right now in terms of popularity at least this is my opinion. I don't know if you agree with this. It's the complete um anonymity of the players nobody knows who's who because by the time you get a household name in in college basketball Grayson Allen being the exception um they're gone like as soon as they're good they're gone like you go look at our all-american teams from this past year all the first team all-americans are gone either they exhausted their eligibility or they just entered the NBA draft early i believe all the second team all-americans are also gone I think Bonzi Colson might be the, the most decorated college player actually returning to college basketball, certainly one of them. And so if I walked into any sports bar in America tonight and said, hey, who do you think is going to be uh, the All-Americans in college basketball next season? People don't know. I mean, you, like, you and I know, but people don't know. Nobody knows. Like, really? People don't even know Miles Bridges. You know, like, like if, I, if I walked around with a picture of Miles Bridges and I said, who is this? I'm talking to sports fans. Nobody would know who Miles Bridges is. And so if you go to a baseball rule, whether it's two years or three years, like you could have, let's just say it was a three-year rule. You'd have Caleb Swanigan coming back next year. You'd have Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox coming back next year. Maybe not them, actually, because they might have been the type that goes straight out of high school. But you get my point. You'd have Luke Kennard coming back next year. I mean, you'd have some really recognizable faces in the sport. I think that's tremendous for college basketball. I don't think it's fair for the players, though. And so I think if you put me in charge of the whole deal, here's what I would do. I'd go back to the way it used to be. If you want to go out of high school, you can. If you want to go after your freshman year, you can. If you want to go after your junior year, whatever. You go whenever you want to go. And if I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, there's, I, some, there's something to be said for it. I, I cannot see how we get back to that point personally. You know what the NBA needs to do is normalize the G League. Like they develop players in that sport, have forever developed players in that sport on the NBA roster. Like you get a young guy who's clearly not ready to, to be on an NBA roster, but the talent was so enticing that you couldn't pass on it. So you drafted him 13th overall, and you, you give him guaranteed millions, and you put him on his roster, and he takes up a roster spot, and it's a roster spot that probably should go to, um, you know, to, to, to one of the veterans. That's among the reasons that uh, the NBA wanted to, to implement what is essentially known as the, the one-and-done rule. A couple different reasons, obviously. One is, or it's a few different reasons. One is uh, you get a year to, extra to evaluate the prospects. You get to see them compete consistently against other uh, prospects you can sort of separate the guys who were uh, frauds from the guys who are totally legit secondly um, it's amazing branding you know without college basketball you know Kevin Durant's just a skinny kid coming into the NBA as opposed to somebody who just set all kinds of records at Texas you know without college basketball Lonzo Ball's just a, a kid from Channel Hills entering the NBA 
he's not big ball or brand Lonzo Ball with LeVar Ball. Like college basketball does an amazing job of marketing prospects for the NBA. Right. So so that's good for the NBA as well. Like, you know, I don't think the G League can ever get to a point where it legitimately can't it can never GP. I mean, we know this like it can it can offer guys money, two way contracts, the the um, perhaps reality that you're tangibly closer to playing in the NBA sooner. But there's just uh, I don't need to yeah. relax on about this. You know where I'm going. Right. Like, yeah. And so just, so so like and then and then the one and done rule also it keeps 18 year olds off your roster and that provides jobs for veteran players who might otherwise be out of the league. Like if you were to, you know, it, it's just it, so. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why the NBA went to this. Um, you know, I think that league would benefit from normalizing the G League. And I think they're trying to. They're investing more money in it. Basically, every franchise now has its own G League affiliate. Um, a lot of the franchises are, are keeping them close to where their NBA franchise is, is located. In other words, here in Memphis, you've got the Memphis Grizzlies. And they just also bought an NBA, a G League affiliate. They called it the Memphis Hustle. And it's going to be it's going to play in North Mississippi about, you know, 15 miles from FedEx Forum. So they're going to have real prospects on that team. And they got two way players who will be going, you know, shuttling back and forth from you can keep everybody in one place. So you keep a closer eye on them and you just need to say, okay, it's okay to go to the G League. Like every baseball prospect spends time in the minor leagues. Like it's okay to spend some time in in what is essentially a minor league to develop to get older, to get stronger, to get all of those things. And once that becomes normal for NBA prospects, um, I think that's a good thing for, for the NBA. Because then you don't have 18-year-olds sitting on your bench. You've got 18-year-olds learning how to play against grown men you know, in a, in a, in a more uh, agreeable setting for their skill set and, 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 uh, and abilities at that time. So I guess I'd wrap it up with this. I... If you put it all on the table and ask me what I care about most, I care most about young people being able to do what's best for them. And if you don't have any business being on a college campus, have no interest being on a college campus, and actually are talented enough to where somebody will select you in a draft and and guarantee you millions of dollars that can change your life and perhaps the lives of, of many people in your family, I fundamentally believe that young people should have an opportunity to do that. And so I would like even, I agree with you, I don't know that we're going back to this path. I would like for high school players, if they want to, to be able to enter the NBA draft out of high school. And if some of them make mistakes, that's fine. Young people make mistakes, bad decisions in this world every single day. Sometimes kids avoid college because they want to start a band. Sometimes kids skip college because they want to move to L.A. and be an actor. Sometimes kids skip college because they just are happy bartending and making some cash and, and, and partying. For, like, whatever. Like, I, you know, I'm not here to, to be everybody's parents. I'll let everybody's parents be everybody's parents. Um, I'm not trying to save young people. You hear that all the time. Well, what about these young people who make mistakes? You know, typically they're not uh, the type. Like, young people make mistakes every day. If you really care that much about them, go to the Boys and Girls Club and put some time in. So um, that's what I fundamentally care about. Them, those young people being able to, to, to better themselves as quickly as possible coming out of high school, um, you know, if, if those opportunities are available to them. And then the reality is, while I like watching college basketball when Lonzo Ball is involved and, and 
Darren Fox is involved and Jason Tatum's involved and Josh Jackson's involved and Markel Fultz is involved. And, and if we allowed prospects to enter the NBA draft straight out of high school, it's possible we would have seen none of those players in college basketball last year. Um, history shows that college basketball will be fine no matter what because there was an era from, from 95 through um, you know Greg Oden and Kevin Durant yeah, uh, coming to, 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 to Texas and Ohio State. There was a, a window there where the best high school prospects did not come to college for the most part. You know, we didn't get Kobe Bryant in college. We didn't get Kevin Garnett in college. We didn't get Jermaine O'Neal in college, Amari Stoudemire, so on and so forth. And the buildings were still full. The television ratings were still good. College basketball is unique in that people really do watch for the university. They don't watch for the individual players. And the stars always emerge from somewhere. You know, when we didn't have one-and-done phenoms being the stars and faces of college basketball. We had Adam Morrison and J.J. Redick. Um, you know, uh, I mean, you still had Carmelo Anthony. I mean, he still yes. he could have gone. I mean, right. so you still you'll, have you'll, you'll, you'll still get some of them who come to right. college just because they want to do it for a year or they don't think they're ready or whatever their, their motivation might be. But college basketball, the stars are always there. You know, sometimes it's Jimmer Fredette. Sometimes it's Buddy Heald. You know, uh, next year, I, I think it's going to be Miles Bridges. It could be Alonzo Trier. But the stars are always going to emerge. We have to tell stories about somebody. Somebody's always going to be averaging 24 points per game. Somebody's always going to score 35 on national television. And so while I, I do like watching Anthony Davis and Derrick Rose and those types of guys in college, college basketball will be fine if they, if they end up not, not playing college basketball anymore. It, it's, it, we've gone through this before. And uh, that, that, that window where we went through it suggested that college basketball will still be what it is, whether those players are around or not. I do think the best thing for college basketball, though, would be to have a rule that, that, that forces players to stay in school longer. But again, I, I don't prefer that because I don't think it's fundamentally fair for those players. I agree. We can, we can wrap it up there because I got plenty of stuff. But we'll, I know we're going to talk about this more on future podcasts. So, um, yeah, good chat, bud. Um, we'll see, you know what happens when and whether this is going to be something that changes next year or the year after that is to be determined but uh but we shall see remember you can subscribe to the island college basketball podcast via itunes so please do that thank you all for listening here in late june and uh and we will be uh, back next week um either tuesday wednesday whenever we feel like it frankly uh to record yeah, right. another ion college basketball podcast until then take care